Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And a few of my favorite ordinary fall things are snuggly sweaters, crisp, cool evenings, and digging all my boots back out of the closet again. And a few of mine are apples from the local orchard, the cashmere sweater I found at a thrift store, and the first fire in our wood stove. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, life is weird these days. We all know that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Life found me this morning. Um, let's see, we're recording this on a Thursday. It was a Thursday morning, a work day, a school day. And at 8 a.m., I was sitting on my sofa in my bathrobe reading a book of poetry. And it was a great poem. Wow, it was so good. I'd never read it before. So I snapped a picture of the poem and I shared it on my Instagram stories, um, complete with, I think, a little glimpse of my fuzzy bathrobe. <laughs> so I had a great response, though. Someone responded to that story and they said, How do you find the time to read? Especially How if it's poetry, to read? I feel like. Oh, really? Especially poetry? Oh, because actually what I said was, well, poems are short, so they don't take long. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they're short in length, but they're long in meaning. And so poems yes. can sometimes feel weightier, I guess, in my head. That's true. They are not quick reading. They are not like skimming a newspaper article or a blog post. Yeah, but Lisa Joe, I thought that was such a good question. How do you find time to read, which is about reading, but really it's about, well, Lisa Joe. How do you find time for the things that um, mean something to you? How do you find time to run? Or how do you find time to uh, watch the movies you love? Right? That's it. Right, that's, right. How there's do you more find going time, on in that question. How do you find time to binge the things that are delicious to you? Yes. Because right. I feel like asking you, Christy, how do you find time to read? It's like asking you, how do you find time to eat? Like, it's... <laughs> right. It's yeah. that delicious Or breathe. <laughs> It's it's true. So I I prioritize reading. I always have. I grew up as a reader. I went to school to be essentially a teacher of reading and a professional reader. And um, books are food to me. So yes, I prioritize reading the way I prioritize breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> snacks, tea time, elevensies. <laughs> <laughs> like a good hobbit. <laughs> and all the rest. Yes. Oh, I'm such a hobbit. So yeah, I mean, the simple quick answer is it matters a lot to me and I prioritize it. But of course, of course, we don't take shortcuts on this podcast. We tell stories, and I think there is probably a lot more to say about it. So, um, of course, these are strange days. So, it isn't maybe normal in my old life to be on, on the sofa in my bathrobe at 8 in the morning on a regular Thursday reading poetry. Um, but right now, I go to second grade with my daughter, and she's wearing her bathrobe every day. Um, and is also sometimes wearing her unicorn winter hat and her unicorn slippers. So life is just very, very <laughs> weird. <laughs> but also, um, I had the opportunity to teach to lead a, a, we call them table, like a small group learning experience in the Black Barn online recently called How to Read a Poem. And it was such a great experience, very rich, good conversation around our virtual table. And um, 
I, as much as I love poetry and have always also made that a priority, um, I don't think daily poetry reading um, has been a part of my life for a while, but that table really inspired me. And um, as well, an American poet recently won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So these things combined caused me to pick up a book by that award-winning poet, Louise Gluck. And um, that's, that's how I ended up on the couch. So there's more, I think, to the story because it's not only how do I find the time, but I think it's how do we decide what feeds us? How do we, I think, form new daily rhythms in these days that are weird, where we can still be in our bathrobes at 8 a.m.? So yeah, all of that, I think, for me is wrapped up in that question. So I hope that this is a good question to explore, um, not just for you and I, but for our listeners as well. I like it because it reminds me of our conversation last week about bread, which a lot of people resonated with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you haven't, mm-hmm. you haven't listened, you should go back and listen to last week's. Um, really, it's a love letter to carbs. And <laughs> But what we, what we discovered there is that we didn't want to take the shortcut. You know, we don't want to just say, okay, if I'm hungry, then I should be hungry for Jesus. Like, we actually talked about why do we experience hunger? What are we hungry for? We're hungry for bread. Isn't it interesting? Bread is what Jesus compares himself to. Like, you have to fill a, a human hunger before you fill a spiritual hunger. This question feels the same to me. I feel like when someone asks, how do you find time to read a poem at eight in the morning, they could be asking one of two things. One, how do you find time for the things that are pleasurable? Because Mm -hmm. that is how it appears, right? You reading a poem at eight in the morning seems like a pleasure or a luxury. Yes. But when you and I sit with that question, the second version that comes out is, how do you find time for the things that are essential? Yes. I think it really depends, you know, like they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like whether something is pleasurable or essential is really in the eye of the beholder in this case, the person experiencing those things. Because what might seem like pleasure, reading a poem to others, I know is essential, in fact, to you. (laughs) And I think that's what makes this conversation interesting to really kind of pick at those threads in our lives to understand our own motivations. What are we viewing as pleasure and what are we viewing as essential? What are the differences between those things? Because everybody must have those distinctions in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that that's why you're right. It is a lot like the bread conversation because we were talking about how essential it is to feed ourselves <laughs> and how essential it is to feed ourselves on the true bread of life. And at the same time, we were celebrating the non-essential pleasure of a fresh, warm Baguettes. baguette yes. for breakfast, right. right? Which is like that extraordinary out of these ordinary circumstances. And so you're right. Reading is that way for me in this sense. So I read as well a lot of fiction novels. I read a lot of mystery novels. We've talked about our love of Louise Penny here on the podcast, but I read lots of mystery novels. And that to me feels more like the baguette for breakfast. It is pure pleasure. It is comfort. It is my preferred way to reward myself for a day of good work or (laughs) um, to wind down in the evening. I would prefer to read um, a good mystery novel than to watch TV. Um, I do watch TV. We have TVs, but yeah, that's just my preferred sort of comfort, relaxation. Um, I love all day knowing I have a good mystery going, and then I'll get to return to it in the evening. It's just one of those really wonderful, ordinary pleasures of my life. Um, But reading poetry, 
whether it is at 8 a.m. if I'm in bathrobe or not, but reading poetry is actually different. Reading poetry to me, for me personally, is more of a discipline. And I would even say it is somewhat of a spiritual discipline. I have really discovered how the language of poetry has formed me spiritually. Perhaps we will do a podcast on that one day. That's a whole other conversation. Um, But it has formed me as a writer. Um, Poetry is so dense in metaphor and the language is dense that even though I am not myself a poet, I don't write uh, poetry. I write other sorts of things. Um, Poetry is a place where I can go and be challenged as a writer, formed as a writer um, in ways that I, I really believe make me a better writer, help me do my work with more excellence. Um, as well as, uh, let's be honest, I probably wouldn't have picked it up this morning at 8 a.m. Um, in my bathrobe on the sofa if I weren't also eager to read this new book. I had just purchased this new book because she won this award, and I was eager to open it and, and get started. And then I, that first poem um, just stopped me in my tracks. So, reading is not one or the other. It is all of these things. It is all kinds of bread to me, I guess. I love answer. that. And it's such an interesting conversation because I love to read too, but I also love, I love to watch movies. I view certain TV shows as the kind of writing I love by people who treat words like music. We've talked about this quite a bit. I love music. Music is my poetry. The, the I love lyrics that really, like every ounce is squeezed out of a line of lyrical writing that is well done. And I find, so my, when I think about like, what do I do for pleasure versus what do I do that's essential? So for pleasure, I have this weird habit I've picked up from my brother who's in the movie business. He makes films. And one of his favorite things to do, he and I both, is to watch movie trailers Oh, right. So weird, but it's so fun. I don't know why I find it satisfying. Movie trailers, but also interviews with certain celebrities, not all of them, but like very quirky ones who always will turn an interview upside down. So like Mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling is a great example of this. Joshua and I are constantly shooting back Ryan Gosling links to check out because they make us laugh and they're weird and quirky. They don't really engage my brain. They're just entertaining. However, When I'm entering into a season, particularly of writing a new book or creating a new project, I gravitate back toward writers who have written either music or TV shows that have moved me in the past. And even though I already understand and know what to expect, there's something about listening to it again that fires me up. And I tend to be one of those writers who likes to listen to music with lyrics while she writes, which I know is most writers find that jarring, but what I... I do not understand that at all. (laughs) What I do is I, but I will listen to a song, the same song, over and Uh, over and over until it becomes almost like background noise. But the lyrics often, like a word here or there, will find their way (laughs) into what I'm writing. So here's a great example that combines two of these things. There's an amazing album put out I'll link it in the show notes. It's called Romans 8, and it's by Emmanuel Worship. They did this incredible worship project where they took the chapter of Romans, chapter 8, and they alternate between readings of the word and songs where they're singing the actual lines of scripture. And it is astonishingly beautiful. And I just when I'm gearing up for now a day of writing, and I'm not talking about writing 
you and I talk about this, the difference between riding at the surface of the ocean where you go into the water and you're splashing around and you're playing and you have sunscreen on and with lots of kids and distraction. And I think of that kind of writing like blog writing or an Instagram post or a Facebook post or maybe a newsletter. That's writing up at the surface of the water. But then there's the kind of writing that's deep sea diving where you have to really gear up. You've got to have your head in the game. You put on your wetsuit and you're breathing and your oxygen and you dive deep, deep, deep down into the, the quiet, dark, blue stillness of the ocean and you're submerged for long periods of time. When I'm about to do that kind of writing, I know I need to fuel myself with is what what on the surface might appear pleasurable, but it becomes like oxygen. It becomes essential when I'm submerging deeply and certain music does that for me. And this Romans 8 album is that. So a writing day for me these days, since we're a storytelling podcast, I'll describe. I wake up in the morning and I'm excited because I know I'm going to have deep, quiet, <laughs> lengthy, submerged writing. Get up, I shower, I always get dressed. I have to feel my brain feels more put together if my body feels put together. So I get dressed, and thanks to our gracious church, I have somewhere to go and write that's not at home. I always go through Dunkin' Donuts, and I get a hot latte with four sweet and low and a blueberry muffin. <laughs> and then I start blasting the music from the moment I pull out of the drive through And Romans 8 has been what I'm listening to because the message there, of course, right, it's scripture, but it's the message about how Christ is in us and how we have the power of Christ at work in us. And I need to know that. Like, I need to believe that when I'm writing and I drink my coffee and I'm eating my muffin and I'm listening to this music and I have it over and over and over so that when I pull into the church parking lot, I turn off the car, the music turns off, I get all my stuff. Oh, there's so much stuff. I haul my computer and my Bible and my notes and my AirPods into the church, down to the bottom office. I'm usually the first person to get there. And then I put the music on again and I sit down and I'm deep underwater now and I'm listening to these lyrics in my mind as I start to write. And I think there's something about writing that is very, very lonely. And so when I feel connected to other artists, it helps me feel less alone and braver as I write. And for some reason, having a single set of music as a backdrop to my writing experience creates a kind of white noise. It really feels like you're underwater and there's just this bubble that you're in. And it allows me to focus for long periods of time to write in that way. So it happens to be Romans 8 now. But listen, I've felt that way about Ed Sheeran albums in the past <laughs> and have had them on repeat too. Maybe even a little Eminem from time to time. I know some people are going <laughs> to When you be really shocked. need to be fired up. <laughs> when you got to get it going. But yeah, good yeah. music for me is like great poetry that makes me feel connected to other storytellers that makes me feel less alone. You know, Lisa, I think there is a... Let's just call it a lie out there. It's certainly a misconception that art is for artists, that that because you and I are, are creating, we're writers, that we need to feed ourselves with words and with art. And we do. That's absolutely true. But art is for everyone. I mean, our God is a creator God. We are made in the image of God as creators. We all have creativity in us. And that might look a lot of times like just being fired up by the music we listen to. So whatever our work is, whether our work is tending young children all day or going to an office or, do, you know, doing something that we feel 
feels very creative, maybe um, creating art or, or writing or just something very different, um, caregiving or, you know, I, I, teaching, um, all these things, I do think that making time for art as a kind of food, I think it it's for more than just you and I. I know that. It is not just for creators. It is for all humans, for all of God's children. So yeah, it could be poetry. What else could it be? Music for sure. I definitely relate to that one. Um, visual arts. Um, I wonder if there, you know, it is kind of one of the neat things about Instagram is that depending on the accounts you follow, you can um, kind of curate for yourself a feed that has visual beauty. You can follow museums, you can follow painters, um, you can follow artists, and you can have a, you know, visual inspiration like that. But this is another, I mean, this is real food too. And it's not just food for you and I, this is food for God's children. And I think we all crave certain kinds of it, right? Yeah. So when you got that question, how do you find time to read a poem? Maybe poetry isn't the kind of art that speaks to her in the way it does mm-hmm. to you, but I would argue that all of us are consumers of art on a daily basis. So when you're in your car, whatever you're listening to, maybe pay attention and ask yourself, why do I like this music so much? Like, what is it? I always, uh, my children get so annoyed. I make them answer this question all the time. What does this preach to you? Everything is preaching a message to you. So maybe there's an artist, a musician, a composer. Maybe there's a podcast you listen to regularly because something about that podcast like moves you. Um, Maybe there's a TV show that you really, really love and you can't stop thinking about it and you want to read more about it and you go down a rabbit trail and then you find all the stars and you want to watch all the interviews with them to understand more about that story. I really do believe like that verse um, says, you know, everything that is good and pure, think on these things. Like there's something in the world that is constantly echoing Christ back to us, whether it's intentional, whether the creator is meant to do that or not. I would argue that since we are all bearing the spiritual DNA of our creator, we can't help but echo it back. And I remember when we were, and when Peter and I were newlyweds, we were in a church in South Bend, Indiana, and we were part of a small group. And we, it was right at the time when the movie trilogy, The Matrix, had just come out. It's a really cutting edge filmmaking, a lot of really unique things, uh, just stylistically. And of course, it also has this gospel story in it. This main character's name is Neo, which means new. And they're trying to get to Zion, like the <laughs> holy city. I mean, like the language is not even subtle. Now, the film's creators are not Christians by any stretch of the imagination, but the narrative is a God narrative. And I remember sitting in a class of students and discussing these movies and why had they captured the cultural attention at the time. And I shared just this idea about how powerful it is that we constantly keep retelling stories of a Savior who comes and sacrifices himself for the greater good. And one of the guys in our class, one of the young college students, he was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like the Savior narrative isn't unique to the Matrix. It's been around everywhere. It's not a God thing. You, you see it in anime. Oh. You see it in Asian movies. You see, I'm like, yes, that yes. is my point. Like it comes everywhere. Where do you think it's coming from? There's something in us that's drawn back to our maker. And so I really believe that we are constantly consuming storylines, whether in music or on our TV or in a book of poetry, that are driving us back into the heart of something deeper, you know, a deeper, truer beauty that we don't always have words for outside of faith. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like last week, we were trying to, I think, remind ourselves, pay attention to what we're eating, like pay attention to the deeper, truer essence, which is rooted in Christ, even if it's just a baguette on our plates. And you're right. I think what we're saying now is we want to pay attention and make time for the kind of art and, and creativity that, again, roots us more deeply in in Christ and in a in a Creator God, um, it's I, we did not. I just have to say, Lisa Joe, we did not plan this, but I am seeing <laughs> this is it's almost feeling like part two of last week's conversation. I love that. I love that. And I'd be curious, you know, in no matter what your work is, there is definitely going to be essentials that everybody feels they need to feed themselves with to prepare for that work. So my father's a doctor; he reads a ton of medical journals, but he's also, you know passionate about apologetics. And so he has studied in his free time, he studies Greek and Hebrew, you know, (laughs) like that's something that feeds him. But it also, what's so beautiful is it informs the work he does because it informs his care for his patients. It informs his understanding of the human body because of how Greek minds have thought about it throughout history. My brothers who are filmmakers and love to watch trailers of movies, it's because they're interested in the narrative of storytelling because they're interested in people and it's part of the work that they do. I think about my husband, who's a professor, and so he tracks with the news really closely, and he reads political science articles and dissections of what's happening, and he's interested in all the viewpoints in order to really fill himself up before he teaches a class on those things. So there really is this sense of like carbo-loading. I like that you used that before we start whatever our work is, so we feed ourselves with with whatever the essence is that it is we're, that we're trying to create, you know, that we're trying to add to. And my mother-in-law's been a teacher her whole life. So she's constantly reading books about new educational pedagogies. So I, I have to think that for everybody, for us, it happens to be poetry or writing or TV shows or music, which probably apply to everyone. But then we'll each have our unique um, essence that we're trying to absorb more of as we delve deeper into a new project. I think it's, for most of us, it's a given that in our spiritual lives, we will grow weary or we will become discouraged and we will need fresh hope, fresh inspiration. And, you know, so we'll go to, um, you know, spiritual songs or scripture or goodness, a a relevant podcast or whatever, knowing that um, in order to continue to run the race set before us, right, that we need to feed ourselves in these ways. Um, But I think this is true. I mean, we're whole people, right? We're not just like, here's the slice of me that is my spiritual life. Here's the slice of me that's, you know, something else. Like, no, no, we're we're whole, whole people. And um, and so, yeah, I guess I'm realizing this is true. So, so here's an example. Here's what I mean. Um, an important part of my life, I feel like, is um, my work. I'll call it work as a gardener. So, no one pays me to garden. It isn't my profession. It's not my job in that sense. I mean, maybe we could almost think of it, I don't know, do I want to call it more of a vocation or I don't know. I have to think more about that. But certainly, the work of gardening here at this place where I live is an important part of my life. But I grow weary in that work. I absolutely do. And so, one thing that helps me is I will read, um, I'll read uh, gardening memoirs, especially memoirs where the gardeners are talking about how everything's going wrong and the weeds are taking over and they're so tired, but then, oh my gosh, this rose is so beautiful. Like those sorts of books 
uh, make me feel less alone. They make they remind me why I'm doing it. I also watch, I, um, I stream um, a BBC, a British gardening show called Gardener's World um, every week <laughs> because um, just, uh, I love this. So the host, Monty Don, you know, the UK's most beloved gardener, is so gentle and um, encouraging. And so every week I sort of check in with Monty Don to remember, oh, yes, I do love this. <laughs> I do care about this. I am glad to be a gardener, which I tell you, like by the middle of August is harder and harder for me to believe or to um, continue walking in, right? So I need that television show and I need that TV gardener to sort of remind me of who I am and my purpose and and sort of to breathe, you know, new life into that particular vocation. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just realizing even now that this is more true than I realized and to maybe pay a little bit more attention to the parts of my life that need feeding. Yeah. So I tend to know when as a writer I need feeding with poetry and in the garden when I need feeding by Monty Don and Gardner's World. But I think this is probably also true for me as a parent, um, as a wife, as a friend. Those parts of me also need feeding, I'm sure. Yeah, I was thinking about the parenting part. I have found you know, in the past, that TV show, Parenthood, man, I loved that show so much. And I would, every time I watched an episode, there was something in me that would, as a parent, be reminded and and affirmed of how hard parenthood is and how essential and how, how it shapes a generation by watching it played out. Watching these stories told to me encouraged me. It made me feel less alone. It's why I read books about parenthood. It's why I love accounts on Instagram that are really honest and raw about how hard it can be some days. We are constantly looking for stories. And I know someone listening is thinking, but the Bible is supposed to be that to you, which it is, of course. But I love the fact that God has put us in communities and that we're part of a narrative and a body. And so I love that essentially Bible stories show up in all these unexpected places, and they are retelling a story over and over and over again in new ways. Because the thing that's so interesting about God's creativity is it's as if He understands that different people will need to hear the story in a different version. And I don't mean like the translation of the Bible. I simply mean that we resonate with different stories from different people and different stages and ages and walks of life. And how amazing that in this world that is so saturated with pop culture and TV and streaming and devices, the good parts of this is that how many ways we have to hear an old, old story. And of course, you know, all the disclaimers, right? We have to be careful on what versions we listen to and who are our guides, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I need that fast voice now, like talking about (laughs) dangerous side effects of media. But man, there's also really beautiful things to be found. And then even if there are shows that appear on the surface to be confusing or hard or the statements they make about parenthood or marriage don't sit well with you, one of my favorite things to do then is to find writers that I love who've explained, who've interpreted, who've pushed back against, who've written reviews. I love reviews. Oh my gosh, that's another thing. I watch trailers, but I read movie reviews the way you read Mm -hmm. cookbooks. I've just made this connection. I love movie reviews. I love to watch a movie and then I have like a scratch in my mind and I'm like, why did that sit weird with me? What is it in that film that's getting up in my business? And then I love to read a review. My favorite reviewer of all time is Roger Ebert, who so sadly passed away. But, you know, he's Catholic was his background. And I love that he brought 
an understanding of faith, too, to all of his reviews, to unpack what it was that was scratching the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And then to bring it full circle to our work, when I read reviews or I listen to music or I watch shows that make me cry, I realize I want to do that. I want to write in a way that causes a scratch in somebody's mind or a sense of affirmation or resonance where they feel less alone. I want to write in a way that makes somebody want to cry the way I cry when I listen to the Romans 8 album. You know, it's part of joining in a chorus, I think, that is trying to reflect back to the maker his own glory. I really do believe that. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing now our stories, our creativity is like all these circles overlapping and how um, even a story we create, our own art isn't complete on its own. So a filmmaker made a film and you watched it and you loved it, but then you wanted to go and read the essay by the film critic talking about the movie. And here I'm picturing like overlapping circles of the film itself and the critic's response and Lisa Joe's response. And all of it is a conversation. It's all a conversation. Um, I love, we haven't really mentioned this lately on the podcast, but you all know we've shared about the Black Barn Online, which is essentially, here are Lisa, Joe, and I, friends who would gather every week to record this podcast at uh, Maplehurst, my home here in Pennsylvania, where we have a Black Barn, and we had begun gathering people. But even before Corona, (laughs) before COVID and and the pandemic that has made in-person gatherings so difficult, if not impossible, we had um, started cultivating an online community, the Black Barn Online. And one thing we do there every Thursday is throw out a prompt based on that week's podcast to encourage some conversation there in the barn around the podcast. And so I know there were some comments. Um, I don't know. Are there any we want to share from recent conversations? I just love that you talked about that, that we don't want our conversations to be an echo chamber in the same way that we don't want our books and musicians don't want their music and artists don't want their art. You want to gather people and then talk about it together. So if you go to to blackbarnonline.com, it's free and it's where our community gathers and has conversations like this. So for example, we shared today in the Black Barn about last week's podcast. I had written, this is a love letter to Jesus and to bread. (laughs) We were surprised to unpack some of the deeper meaning behind our Savior naming himself this most ordinary of pantry staples. We hope you get a chance to listen this week and be encouraged. So tell us, what's your favorite way to eat bread? I mean, it's like a dangerous conversation because you read all of these comments and now you desperately want to rush out and buy fancy bread because Miriam Uh wrote, I've never been able to make bread from scratch. Me too. So I've come to warming up a fresh loaf from the grocery or the bread store. I then slice it and serve it with seasoned olive oil. I do that too. And that sounds amazing. Amy talks about bread in Russia. When we were in Russia, we would often have bread and jam with a cup of tea before bed. I've got to start doing that. There's nothing quite so glorious as a homemade loaf with a smear of homemade jam, unless it's fresh hot bread slathered with good butter or bread and gouda toasted over a campfire. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So These comments are very dangerous. They just keep going. And, and one of them even <laughs> talks about the benefits of sourdough bread because it contains probiotic enzymes that make it healthy for sensitive stomachs. I don't even know that. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's the bread. It actually helps. Like if gluten can be hard for some people to digest, but sourdough bread actually helps you digest it. Like it's like food that is so 
wanting you to enjoy it. It is like, I will help you eat me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You guys have to come and check it out, blackbarnonline.com. I'll link it in the show notes as well. But we also really feel grateful anytime someone leaves a comment for us. And it's just such a blessing to know we aren't an echo chamber. That isn't our desire. And one of the reasons we share your comments here is there's no way to reply in the the dumb app. Like, it doesn't let you (laughs) reply to comments. And so we read them here because we really want you to know that we saw them and they mean they mean a lot to us. And so we really appreciate that. And we appreciate, um, I'm going to let Christy read these. Uh, here's the link, Christy. And while you're looking it up, I'm going to read something someone sent me via direct message that I thought was really fun too. So someone found me on Instagram and messaged us. And it says here, Christy and Lisa Joe, I look forward to your podcast on Wednesday just like I look forward to Christmas morning. I mean, I do not know if there is a higher compliment than that. (laughs) She says, um, and usually I'm out for a run while listening and you two help make my run enjoyable. And that is no easy task as running is not my cup of tea. And I just wanted to say thank you very, very much for that because we feel exactly the same way. Running is not my cup of tea either. I just know it's good for me and that's why I do it. So thank you so much for taking the time to share. I think that this was from Corey. Corey, we've really appreciated that. Lisa Joe, here's one from Ruth Ann. Um, the title is Lisa Joe Gets Her Fix. I had to stop what I was doing to let you both know you are making a difference. Lisa Joe reminding us today of what it used to be like as you would drive to visit Christie at Maplehurst acknowledges life is different these days, and for many of us, it truly is. 2020 has come with a lot of losses for so many of us, some small and some quite big, but all are worth counting and naming. I love that, counting and naming. Mm. Your beautiful story of what it was like just seven months ago and your longings for what it for what it was to come again is the marking of your humanity. You put skin on your stories as you two always do. I love that. Thank you, friends, for keeping things real. We love you and look forward to your conversations every Wednesday together. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we love God. you. And we're so grateful for those words. And... Uh, I love that. Now I have, I think, a better sense of what we do. Let's go on week after week, putting skin on our stories and handing, you know, passing them around and living them out and um, sharing them with others and no echo chambers, just more and more good conversation. That is both essential and pleasurable. Yes! If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.